Welcome to the Mind All My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind All My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money podcast. I am your co-host, uh, Martin Palomo. I've got Neil McCrady here with me in his studio. I'm coming to you from the Pelican Club studios in Madison, Mississippi. We'll get to Neil in just a minute. Um, we've got a returning guest, Marcos Veremis uh, with Evanston Capital. He joined us uh, a couple months back, uh, but this time we are going to specifically talk about one subject, and we'll get into that in just a few moments. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to tell you that this show is presented by Pinnacle Trust. Um, Pinnacle Trust has been in business since 1997. We're a wealth management firm, uh, work with individuals and institutions, uh, mostly focused on individuals. And what I will say, I am super happy as we tape this. It is 10:10 in the morning. On this glorious day, December 31 of 2020, I have never been more excited for a New Year's Eve. Uh, 2020 can take a hike. I'm excited about 2021. Uh, this has been a bizarre year. It has been, a, I've gotten a lot more gray hairs, as I'm sure everyone else has. But if you've been investing on your own or you are unsure whether you have a plan in place that's going to have uh, set you up for a dignified retirement, Give us a call, 601-957-0323. You can reach us, info at PINNtrust.com. If you are ready to get off the roller coaster and decided that you are not as good of an investment advisor to yourself as you think you are, or the person that you're working with is not giving you the attention that you need, want, and desire, um, you can catch us, 601-957-0323. We're also really active on social media. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Pinnacle Trust homepage, or the Mind on My Money podcast page. Uh, Neil, before we crank up, do you want to uh, do you want to add anything? Did I mess it up? Did I do good? You did great. I'll Sweet. just tell you, I'm coming from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. If you're in the market for a vehicle, even if you're not in the market for a Ford, even if you're not even thinking about a Ford, do yourself a favor. Give Corey Clark a call get a quote. Um, he wants to be a car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He's advised me and I've got, look, I've got three Clark Fords at our house, but, um, we're not always shopping for Ford. Sometimes we're looking for other things and I've gone to Corey cause Corey is my car guy he is my truck guy. And I've asked, Hey, what about this? And gotten some pretty good advice on some different things. He'll do that for you as well. 662-257-1900. Awesome. Marcos, man. Uh, welcome back to the show, man. Super grateful to to have you on how are you my friend it's great to be back uh martin it's hard to believe that uh it's been what when did we last speak what it was early may uh yeah i think it was before summer and uh we were kind of talking about where we thought markets might head uh this yeah year. well you know you, we were talking back then about how scary things uh yeah. were looking in terms of the real economy and yeah Markets were looking uh, scary at the time, but uh, but there there was uh, this subsequent you know incredible money printing that occurred that's pushed asset prices up. On the other hand, the real economy is still suffering. So yeah. it's, um, you know I I don't know I, whether I could have predicted back then that we'd be sit, sitting now talking about uh, S and P five hundred all time highs, while um, you know at the same time you know the economy is shut down. I don't think I would have predicted it back in May, but here we are. Well, I mean, the kind of the running joke at our office too is, you know, if you uh, fell into a coma on January 1st and you happen to be waking up today, December 31 of 2020, and you're looking at your investment portfolio, you're like, man, I had a good year. This was a, this was a great year. Let's do 2020 again. And I'm like, hell no. I'm, I don't, if, if I never have another 2020 in my life, I've got, I know people, our listeners can't see it, but in my beard, I have uh, February like 21st through March 23rd grays, uh, you know, in my beard because those, 
those were days when when I really considered, you know, should I should I take up heavy drinking uh, to make it through the days. Fortunately, I didn't have to do that. But man, they were they were some trying times, my friend. They were some trying times. For sure, it's it's been one of the most bizarre years, at least I've I've lived through so far in my forty-two years on this earth. Um, yes, you know, a really bizarre year. That's all I I could say about it. Yeah, I think, and you know, I think that uh, I think that it's good enough, you know, just to say that. And you know, if I can quote our uh, our friend Mr. Lebowski, uh, or actually, I'll quote the stranger in the Big Lebowski, and he says, you know. Sometimes you eat the bear, and well, sometimes it eats you. Man, we we fought with the bear this year, and I don't know who won, but I am I am tired. I'm tired of the bear. I'm ready to. I'm ready <laughs> I, I to hear you a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Now it it's, it remains to be seen how 2021 is going to be, because um, yep. although we have the vaccines and and all of that, there's still. Um, shutdowns and uh, it's going to take time for the vaccines. Nobody is uh, appears to be eager to open up the economies worldwide. So I, you know, we could be sitting here in six to twelve months in the same situation. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny that you say that. As we just had, a, I just had a conversation with uh, one of our past um, guests on the show. He's a he was the chair of emergency medicine here at our our level one trauma center in Mississippi and we were just chatting with him about, you know, vaccines and when does economy, when does he think, you know, when, when can we open up for, for business? And it's, you know, some of his comments were, were kind of, um, uh, I'm going to say like encouraging. And one of the things that he said is he's like, you know, I really don't understand some of the, the policy for countries and travel around this, you know, especially if there's enough people that end up with a vaccine that it's, you know, that it's not as, is rampant and widespread. And he did say that he could understand, he could understand if, you know, there was an area that didn't have any like local transmissions and they were trying to keep it away, but pretty much the whole globe has been affected by this stuff. And so his, his whole comments was, you know, the fort, if you fly to Europe and you have to quarantine for 14 days, where's the logic in the public health policy for that? If, if it's already widespread, you know, if you're wearing masks and all this stuff, maybe it makes sense. We were just having that conversation and, trying to figure out what uh what is uh what makes sense for when we return to normal but he said that you know he thought his thoughts were it would be um you know end of the year before um you know end of 2021 before it could be and I know our listeners can't see my air quotes but I'll air quote it before we would be normal again where you know you might not have to have masks to go places uh, but he thinks that yeah, he said, I don't see why life wouldn't just continue, but we will have the masking I, I and don't, the policies and all that. I stuff. hear the same thing. I hear the same thing about masking. I, I don't see how that holds up. I mean, if if you believe that that Americans are going to be vaccinated by the end of May, three weeks after you, you get your second vaccination, or two weeks after your second vaccination, you're immune. Why are you why are people having to wear a mask other than to make people I don't understand it. I, I'll be honest. If I'm having to wear a mask to go to the grocery store in, in November or December, I'm going to find a new grocery store or I'm going to start buying everything off Amazon. I refuse. I'm not going to do it anymore. Get it delivered. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know. I'm, that it- seriously, I'm at a point where I will not do it anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm not far from it because at, at some point you're, you're no longer doing it for anything scientific. You're only doing it to protect people's feelings. And I got to tell you by October of this coming year, I don't give a damn about anybody's feelings. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't care anymore. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, that's not the reason to do it. And I'm, I'm frustrated with this pushing the ball back and back and back. We'll talk about how it's affecting money because Marcos is right. Marcos is exactly right. And so many people don't see this. They're like, Oh, well, you know, we, we, everybody's got whatever it, it the, the, the real state of the economy is not good. And you can't continue to maintain an economy like this for much longer before people go under. And as the people go under, the economy gets worse. Yeah, yeah. We, we are we are getting to a place, and I know people don't like this, we're getting to a place where there's going to have to be some risk assessment individually where you say, okay, I can or I cannot take the risk. Yeah, and I mean, I think that most of the stuff that we do on a regular basis is, 
you know, very relatively low to moderate risk. Um, but anyway, you know, that'll another, another subject for another time on, you know, on, on the risks and, and when all that stuff will happen. But let's, let's do kind of talk about, you know, Neil, you kind of gave us a great segue into Marcos. So Marcus, Marcos, um, some of the, some of our listeners may not know from the last time we had you on that you are, um, a very highly sought after expert on digital assets and, and, and cryptocurrencies. You've, you're invited literally when I say you've traveled the world and talked at, you know, at events globally, I'm, I'm not lying. You have literally traveled the world and talked at events globally about, you know, cryptocurrencies and digital assets and the infrastructure and all that. And it's kind of uh, interesting how, you know, the U.S. has, as we were talking kind of pre-show, um, this printing of money, this stimulus is, is creating some, um, you know, devaluation of the U.S. dollar. And, and now, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin specifically is back in the news again, which was perfect timing for, for having you on. Um, let's talk a little bit for a, a, a lot of our listeners may have heard or you know, understand the term cryptocurrency, but let's talk a little, if you're okay with it, talk a little history of when did cryptocurrencies kind of come into play? What are they? Um, how do people get access or how can people do their own research to figure out if they want to have access, you know, to these things? Um, I know there may be a couple disclaimers we, we put on there that we're not giving advice or, <laughs> or making suggestions to buy any cryptocurrencies, but it's kind of a novelty idea for most folks. And, um, I'm going to shut up and let the expert talk, kind of walk us through the history and we'll talk about how it's applicable today too. Yeah, definitely. Let me start by saying that I'm not an expert because it's such a fast moving space and it has a lot of technical knowledge that you need to know software um, and computer science and so on that it has so many disciplines around it that you need to know pretty well in order to be an expert that I'd say that I'm struggling to be an expert. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you know, your I'm, candor. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to keep, keep up with it. But I love the humility, it, man. It all started. I'll tell you how it started. It's very simple. Uh, it started in 2008, late 2008, with Bitcoin. That's the first cryptocurrency, the first decentralized cryptocurrency. Now, what you need to know is that before that, there were numerous attempts to create what's called internet money. So money that you could exchange... Uh, on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, purely through an internet connection without, you know, any intermediary like a bank. So there had been attempts before that. Numerous computer scientists attempted it. There was always an issue with respect to, uh, to a third party maintaining a database and kind of, um, you know, keeping a record of all these transactions. But then this uh, group of developers or a developer, we don't know it, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, it's probably a group of developers. Yeah, I've, I remember uh, reading about that. A, exactly. Came up with a Bitcoin white paper in 2008 that um, actually had um, an ingenious design behind it. Um, it, it managed to create uh, a system whereby, and we can talk about the system, whereby um, a unit of value could be exchanged between people uh, just purely through an internet connection and it completely bypassed the traditional financial system. So you could have a, a person sending one Bitcoin to another person without any third party intermediary, like without a bank. It's incredible if you think about it. Yes, and now, I know that there was, um, sorry to jump in, because there was, they had a little bit of a black eye and I don't know if this was a little more of the conspiracy theory rooms where there was a bunch of pushback saying, Hey, this is an opportunity for nefarious and like black market activities where, you know, no one could see who was on what ends of the transaction. So I, and as, as am I remembering that correctly or did I just make that up? That's true. You know, Bitcoin initially, so initially it was a group of uh, computer scientists, right, right. Uh, um, you know, on, on a mailing list exchanging the, the Bitcoin. So nothing illegal there, good people, right? <laughs> right. So they, they, they probably had a libertarian leaning, you know, they were kind of a internet native folks that believed in freedom and, uh, uh, you know, did not like banks and 
they had this sort of profile, especially in 2008. Remember what happened? Yeah, financial crisis, meltdown, distrust exactly. of the financial system. Absolutely. Exactly. And uh, and so this was the initial group of people that started mining Bitcoin and exchanging Bitcoin. Um, eventually, um, it it went into um, a use in, in Silk Road. I don't know whether you're familiar with Silk Road, but yeah. it was this website that used the Tor um, network and uh, tried to, basically people were selling drugs yep. um, and using Bitcoin to buy them. So it, it, that stained its reputation um, in, in its initial days. But um, the fact of the matter is that we're way past that period now. Uh, and, and at this point, you know, the vast majority of people, I think, who own Bitcoin or use Bitcoin are decent people, right? Uh, it, it just was a new technology. And, you know, whenever there's a new technology and, and the regulators are way behind it, you know, bad people are going to take advantage of these loopholes in knowledge, right? There, since since the feds couldn't didn't know what to do with Bitcoin, they were using Bitcoin. Right now that they know what to do with Bitcoin, they don't use Bitcoin anymore. Um, in order to track, I mean, illegal activity. So yeah, yeah you know, you're and, right though. And I think that um, to to jump to jump around a little bit when you're talking about it's pretty decent people using it now. You know, just in the news this week, and 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 Neil may be able to. Uh, to correct me on the person's name and the person's name isn't really relevant, but so there was an NFL player. I think he's uh, Carolina Panthers um, has, you know, has publicly, and I guess the NFL players association has approved it where um, he's going to receive next year's half of next year's salary in cash and half of next year's salary. And, you know, in Bitcoin, um, which is probably, probably the first high profile, uh, you know, public case of, it being used as a medium of compensation is that is that yeah, no, those that don't that want to look it up it was Ro russell okung the former uh, oklahoma state offensive tackle he's been in the nfl for about 12 years one of considered kind of one of the kind of bright independent thinkers among professional athletes awesome yeah, absolutely it's worth following him on twitter by the way because he posts about bitcoin and some of the reasons why he uh, he opted to to get you know half his pay in Bitcoin, but just to be clear, they're paying him in dollars, but he's gonna he's gonna be using uh, an app that I actually don't know very well called Zap, whereby they they will uh, convert his compensation to Bitcoin immediately for him. Gotcha. And so he's gonna keep half his salary in Bitcoins, and half he's gonna receive in dollars. I wouldn't say he's the first high-profile person. I'd say that. In terms of, of athletes, he's one of the first ones. Gotcha. You know, there have been other athletes, I think, that, that have been uh, associated with crypto in general. But it made the news recently because it's a lot of money to get paid in Bitcoins, right? It's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he if you look at his Twitter page and what he's saying, he's it's the very simple arguments. You know, the U.S. dollar is being debased. Bitcoin uh, maintains its value. And we can talk about all that in more detail. Yeah. Um, and he's a believer. So um, it's it's great to see people like him. You know, there have been plenty of other folks. I mean, Jack Dorsey of Twitter is a big uh, uh, fan of Bitcoin and believer in Bitcoin. PayPal just opened, uh, opened uh, up its platform to Bitcoin purchases. And by the way, PayPal is now buying... Um, more than 100% of the newly issued supply of Bitcoin. Again, let's keep that thought and we'll talk about it in more detail in a bit, how it works. Okay. But um, yeah, yeah, you've also seen prominent macro managers like Paul Tudor Jones yep. uh, buying Bitcoin. You've seen um, you know, some traditional, there was a traditional investment management firm in the UK called Ruffer that bought Bitcoin. So it's really opened up uh, more recently to um, a lot of a, a lot of new folks coming in with a lot of money buying Bitcoin. And so and Bitcoin is just the, the probably the most um, household name, I guess, for, you know, in, in cryptocurrencies. But there are many different 
cryptocurrencies that are out there and, and, and available, correct? That's correct. And they've developed a lot over time. So th there have been three broad cycles in, in crypto, right? The first one was Bitcoin, 2008 to say like maybe 2013. Bitcoin was the king of, of crypto. And then there were m numerous attempts to copy Bitcoin. The vast majority of them failed because Bitcoin has the, you know, it's the first mover and it had the network effects. The right. network effects here are very important. So there were people who just cut and pasted the Bitcoin code and tried to create a new Bitcoin, but it didn't get, gain any, any traction whatsoever. So it's not about the source code. The source code is open. Everybody can use it. It's about the network effect, right? So that was a first phase. The second phase, you had a new crypto asset called Ethereum, which is, is a second biggest one right now, by the way, which uh, was a more complex blockchain, which allowed for derivatives to be built on, on the Ethereum network and various forms of uh, contractual um, exchanges of value. So there's a whole movement now called decentralized finance that, that is really uh, basically um, recreating uh, the, the entire financial stack on, on Ethereum. You have lending markets, you have you know, money markets, you have lots of things going on on Ethereum. So Ethereum is phase two and a couple of other coins like Monero. Then phase three is the one that came out of this massive bubble that occurred in 2017, which is kind of the where we are now, where you have lots of interesting new digital assets being created by entrepreneurs and but in 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 short we are early in this uh phase of of digital assets and bitcoin is still the dominant one in terms of usage gotcha so do you think the so i just think back to you know 2007 which was a which was a big year for for me it was one the year that i, I joined cambridge and we got to start working together but but two it was also uh, when I owned my first iPhone, right? And the iPhone changed my life, as I think it did, you know, most people. It was one of those pieces of technology that, you know, I never thought I look, you know, 13 years down the road and I would say, like, my entire life almost operates off of my iPhone. You know, my, my business life operates off of my phone, my calendars, I bank through my phone. There's so many things I do through the phone and I, the technology just ripped so fast and how it changed my, my life. And I'm sure, you know, everyone else in the world, do you think that, um, the technology and the, the, the idea of the digital assets, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now, do you think it's going to have such a broad impact? Because, I guess where I'm at, where I'm going with this is I remember the days when like Jamie Dimon and other big heads of banks were just trashing and dogging, um, you know, cryptocurrencies. And then, um, you know, and now some of them are, have, uh, abated and are kind of eating their words and eating crow. Do you think it's going to change the way we bank and finance or do lending or record keeping? That is my belief, right? It's the, you know, you're going to hold me accountable for this in a few years. But that is my belief. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why, you know, uh, first of all, you know, there, there are about 1.7 billion people in this world that don't have bank accounts. Now, they have phones and they have internet connections. Yeah. So they can use something like Bitcoin to, or other assets to pay each other or participate in the financial system in one shape or form. Uh, even with, you know, now that the decentralized finance space is, is taking off, you know, maybe in the future lending their assets to others or borrowing, you know, and, and without a bank account, like everything through an internet connection. So since the internet has been evolving and evolving and it's been changing the way we live and actually large parts of the economy have been ported online, like effectively, right? I think the same is gonna happen with finance eventually but we're still very early and there are problems there's still problems and there's also a big pushback from um the incumbents banks and so on you know they're not gonna 
let crypto necessarily flourish without a fight, right? Um, so um, I think the trend is for it to, to increase over time in one shape or form. It's still very risky, though. So that's what I wanted to ask you about the risk, because this comes up, believe it or not, I was in my gym yesterday and I was talking to a couple of guys that I'd sometimes talk to about whatever. And we were talking about crypto and, and I mean, about um, Bitcoin and they were talking about investing in Bitcoin, um, you know, kind of hedging in Bitcoin a little bit because there's a concern out there. And you mentioned it earlier, Marcos, about, you know, the, the, we're just printing money, you know, to, to give out as, as loans uh, to help people during the pandemic, which is honorable. I get it. I'm not criticizing that. But the loans, most of the loans aren't actually going to be repaid. They're, they're, they're ways, you know, to avoid having to repay. And so a lot of people are concerned that the dollar is going to be devalued to the point that investing in Bitcoin could end up being a bonanza from an investment standpoint. What do you say to those people? That's definitely how the great macro trader Paul Tudor Jones thought about it. And he released a letter. I think you can find it online. That's been widely circulated. The Great Monetary Inflation, it's called. He wrote it a few months ago. And if you look at the M2, the money supply, you know, by the end of, of this year, we'll have increased by actually we are at the end of this year it has increased by about 30 percent and will it will keep on increasing so 30 percent of all um dollars in the in, in existence have been print, printed you know or a bit more than that in uh, the past few months in order to deal with this pandemic right so you've seen the dollar losing uh, value you know it's gone down now the same thing is happening with other currencies too in some shape or form. So the view here is, you know, you have something called Bitcoin that is outside of the control of central banks and governments, which has a fixed supply. And I can talk about how that supply works, but one thing you should, you should understand is that its new issuance was halved this year, it was cut in half, while at the same time, the issuance of dollars ballooned. So you have this scarce asset that can absorb all this money and keep its maintain its value or increase its value. I mean, it's shot up to $28,000 now. Now it's going to be a wild ride, I think, over time and there are risks around it. But the way I viewed it in my portfolios for, for the past few years has been as a hedge, as something that can maintain its value as demand for it increases. It, it's, it has a fixed supply, very uh, 21 million Bitcoins. Uh, as more demand demand comes in, there's there's not going to be more issuance of it like there is with dollars. So you're going to see its price increase over time, especially if there's money printing going on. Yeah, and that makes sense too. And you know, and one of the arguments that uh, not arguments, one of the comments that well, I've, I've it's funny, it's been a I've been a popular topic in the last couple of weeks too, and I've just talked to people. People ask me about it. Of course, I don't know much about it, which is why we brought you on board, Marcos, to <laughs> to give us a little bit of information. Information, but one of the things they say is, which is funny, is well, what uh, you know, what backs the the value of Bitcoin? And my my answer to them is, I kind of look at them and say, well, what backs the value of your dollar? Because it's not silver, it's not gold, it's everything. We it's everything is a fiat currency. Um, it's just the trust and faith that there's value there right but i think it is a good question for crypto and it's and i'm i'm assuming it's the simple answer of it would work just like fiat currencies but it is a a faith and then supply and demand is a piece of it too it's a very good question it's it's a great question actually and you know the dollar is backed by the us government right and right backed by taxation it's backed by the military you know it's it's backed by the uh, the us government bitcoin is backed by code which caps it at 21 million bitcoins, and you know it's it effectively um, it's backed by a network of people. Now, not every cryptocurrency has succeeded in doing that, but in the case of Bitcoin, it's been around for 12 years, yeah. and it's only been going up in price over time with with a lot of volatility. But yes, <laughs> um, but it has been going up in price, so it has with 
it, it has held the test of time in many ways. And networks, online networks can be very powerful. Think of Facebook, right? Yeah, for sure. Facebook started, um, you know, with just a few, I remember in 2005, I got on Facebook and it was just certain universities on it. And yep. then three and a half billion people on Facebook. And it's, it's happened because it's a social network um, and you meet people there. Now, Bitcoin is also a social network in some ways. You know, it's an online network that, you know, the more people get onto it, the more powerful it becomes, the more secure it becomes. Um, and as this happens, you know, the price keeps going up. And at some point, you know, it reaches escape velocity where it uh, doesn't need to be backed by anything other than the fixed supply that it has and the network of people that, that hold it. Um, of course, you know, it's risky. And, and I'm not suggesting people go, go out there and buy Bitcoin without understanding, you know, what it is and what they're buying. And so when you, I know you've, you've, you've hit the driver home a few times about uh, a fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoin. So I remember there was a day and age where people would quote unquote mine these Bitcoin. And I have no idea what that actually means other than they were just creating it using some type of, of code. I don't understand the process. If you held a gun to my head and said, do it, I would just say, you know, I'm, my life is done. Um, but so there is no more mining of, of, of additional Bitcoin. That's a thing of the past. There is. So, so, the way it works, and I won't bore you with the details of how a blockchain works because we're gonna go crazy over here. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I don't think you're—I don't think people who are listening to us are wanna go down that route. But um, I'll, I'll tell you the, the following: it's start, every every four years, the supply of Bitcoin is, is cut in half. At this point, we've we, we've reached the point where around eight eighteen point nine million or so of the twenty one have been minted, and Okay. There's still a few more million to go to get to the 21 million, but every four years, you know, the new supply is cut in half. Um, so uh, perhaps I should give you some data. So when in 2009, the reward, every time a, a new block is of, of uh, transactions is, is minted by the decentralized system, and the miner who, who issues that block of transactions without going into details receives a reward in Bitcoins. These are the new, newly issued Bitcoins. Back in 2009, that number was 50 Bitcoins. Five zero. Today, since May 11, 2020, it's, it's become 6.25 Bitcoins. So the, and then it's going to go further down until we hit the 21 million cap. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so yeah. there are some, essentially there are some um, authorized... Bitcoin that is out there that is not in supply yet, and each no, but and each it, year the inflation, let's say, is 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 has is is cut in half every every uh, four years. Okay, and it's very little. So, PayPal, uh, I was I was reading about this through through one of the manager letters, managers investing in the space. PayPal is now buying. All the new, uh, you know, the demand through PayPal coming from people, they're, it's buying the entire, more than 100% of the new supply of Bitcoins. Now, in four years, it's going to be cut further. So you have a, an asset that's de deflationary in a way. And on the other hand, you have the US dollar having gone up 30%, like in terms of quantity. Yes. Uh, and it will keep on going up. Because governments need to, to need to print their way out of trouble, fiscal and financial trouble, and that has been going on for decades. So <laughs> it's kind of the the inverse of what's happening there. Here you have a reduction in the supply. Right. There Versus, you have an increase in the supply. That makes sense. So for the layperson who is listening to this show, and they say. Um, you know, hey, I'm interested in learning, you know, some more. Because as you said, this is not something that you should go buy. You should assess your risk before you decide to make a purchase. But how does, because people have, we've had clients call in and ask like, hey, I want to buy Bitcoin. Can you buy it for me? I'm like, uh, 
I don't think so. How um how do you how does one go about purchasing you know the digital assets and and and, and we can talk about Bitcoin because it's the big daddy, but or Ethereum is there platforms for that? Yeah, without endorsing any, just to be right. clear, you know I can't endorse any. You know, uh, you you can you can buy them. Uh, Coinbase is one of the big companies out there, okay. and they're going to IPO next year. By the way, uh, from the looks of it, you know they filed an S one, which in you know filing to IPO for next year, so it's going to be a public company. You know, you can download that app on your phone and start buying bitcoins. Gotcha. And um, you can do the same with Ethereum. Fidelity has launched. Um, I think it's only for institutions right now, but Fidelity has um, a custody solution for Bitcoin. Um, you know, if you're an institution, you can ask Fidelity to buy the Bitcoins for you. Gotcha. And you can hold them directly. There's, um, in terms of, of funds, uh, right now there's um, Grayscale, where you can buy Bitcoin through your Schwab account, for example. And now this the is like the form of a mutual fund or? That's right. Okay. The problem is that it trades at a premium to okay. the underlying Bitcoins. And I think the reason is that there's so, so, so much demand for it and people don't know how to buy it that they're, they're saying, oh, hey, I can buy it um, you know, through my brokerage account. And um, you know, they, 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 the demand is very high for it, and hence it's trading at sure. a premium. Yeah, that makes now, sense. Now, if the Bitcoin ETF comes along the way, and the, I know the SEC has been looking at it, that will be the best way to do it. And that'd, that'd be kind of spreading your risk amongst different currencies. So, what, and, and, and forgive me for my ignorance here. So, there is the actual digital currency, which we'll just for. For uh, for our purposes of not creating more confusion, we'll just say it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the digital currency, and then there is the blockchain, correct? That's right. So that's right. What is the blockchain? The blockchain is is uh, what enables uh, the existence of Bitcoins and Ethereum, and what ex enables this this scarcity in the online world, right? I'm, I'm going to try to give you an example here. You know your PDF files, right? Yep. You know your PDF files. So let's assume you create a, a painting on a PDF file. Martin Palomo creates a painting on a PDF file. Is that a scarce thing? No. You can cut and paste it a million times and can flow through the end. It has no value. Right. On a blockchain, in a decentralized way, you can actually record a specific transaction in time um, that makes it and, and, and creates scarcity in a decentralized way. Now, the blockchain enables that. It, it allows for this decentralized network to, to keep a record of, of all these Bitcoins. Okay. Um, and, and in that way, you have all of a sudden online scarcity through these blockchains. So do you think that there will ever be a use for the blockchain... So, and I'm going to go down a real crazy rabbit hole here because I've, I've, I've read enough, enough to make me really dangerous, but this is more from the fear side. So I read, uh, I read an article, this was maybe even last year, I can't even remember the date of it, where it was talking about um, identity theft, but not identity theft from, um, you know, like someone in going and getting your credit cards or getting a credit card and, you know, with using your information, what they were talking about was, um, you know, someone retitling your home to them and then you having no idea, then they go take out, you know, a mortgage or a second mortgage using the home as collateral. And then obviously they don't pay it back. Then the bank comes and repossesses your house. And in the meantime, you have no idea this is happening. There was, I read in the article that maybe something like the blockchain could protect from, you know, some type of fraud or theft because it's recording you know, maybe that transaction of when I purchased my home, the uh, title is recorded that date and time and can't be duplicated or replicated in other places. Is I know that this this is a stretch. Is the blockchain able to do something like that, or is that like, man, that's not even theoretically Absolutely. possible? Absolutely, and and uh, there are different business models trying to be built on various different blockchains. But absolutely, you have 
you know, um, and, and transaction that is immutable on a blockchain that's publicly available, uh, you can prove that you own something on a blockchain and it can be transparent to everybody. And so things like titles and all, all what you're describing, you know, blockchains could definitely solve issues like that. Okay. I'll give you another maybe example that makes will make it um, more fun for people. Okay. You know, in the Ethereum blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain, and don't, let, let's not go down the rabbit hole as to why the Ethereum blockchain, okay. but on the Ethereum blockchain, you have what's called non-fungible tokens, right? Non-fungible tokens are, are not uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum. It's not money. It's actual um, unique tokens. Now, you can tokenize a digital piece of art, and I actually received one as a gift this year. Uh, from a creator, an online creator who painted something digitally. Um, on, and then, you know, it can be, that person can send it over to you. You can pay, pay them for it. And all of a sudden you have this unique painting that you can prove is yours, right? So it'd be like having the Mona Lisa, but That's digitally. Right. That's right. I mean, right, uh, you know, you could say, hey, I can take a picture of, of, uh, of this painting and send it to other folks. Yeah, but I'm the only one who can prove through my public address on the Ethereum blockchain. Right, that it's I own yours. This painting. And you're the only one that could benefit from a, a sale of, if you decided to sell auctions right now. Yeah. So there that's- are auctions of digital paintings, you know, uh, you believe it or not. And the one I got, uh, its value was 37 and a half dollars. And if I go auction it, I'm the only person who can auction it. Based on where this artist is trading right now, I think I could make 200. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So it's it could create a place where you actually have um, more confidence that because um, I know criminals, especially with technology and the internet, and the criminals are are really the smart, the, some of the smartest guys in the room, right? Where they can figure out how to relieve you of your hard earned assets and make a profit from your hard work. But in this case, this could be a potential solution to, um, essentially quote unquote, close the door on, on criminal activity for, for assets that have a lot of value to you so that, that it couldn't be, you couldn't be exploited. I think, I, I think absolutely. Now, the uh, counter argument there is, is that people can steal your passwords and private keys and so on and steal your assets. Like sure. it's happened with Bitcoin. Let's take Bitcoin, right? People have stolen Bitcoins from other people um, because, you, you know, because it's a decentralized system, the user has um, ownership of their, of their passwords, the private keys, as, as they're called. Now... If you have your private keys kind of floating around the internet yeah. and your emails, somebody can go into your email, uh, get a hold of your private key and, and initiate a transaction from your Bitcoin address to themselves and steal your Bitcoins. So you need to be careful. Uh, you need to be careful. Uh, these assets are assets that you hold. You're responsible for them. So if you, quote unquote, lose, if I'm unmedicated ADD. And uh, if my head wasn't attached to my neck, I would probably leave it somewhere. <laughs> um, so a guy like me, uh, if I lose my personal passcode, there's no 800 number to blockchain or us to call and say, hey, can you reset my passcode for me? Is no, no, there's not. But oh. on the other hand, because <laughs> the space has developed, there's not. And that's why it's decentralized, sure, right? Sure, sure, sure. That's why, that's why the owner has the power. That's why the, the, it, it all began with this libertarian ethos, which is, was, it's my private keys, my Bitcoin. Nobody can take it from me unless they steal it from me. Uh, I can do anything I want with it. There's no government that can come to my bank account and seize it. Uh, there's no, it's, it's, it belongs to me. It belongs to me, and it could be in my head, in my memory, right? Yeah. And And so... Um, in that sense, you know, you're responsible. Now, the reality is that the space has evolved so much over time that you have these new services like Coinbase and, and, and um, Fidelity that keep your Bitcoins for you and they do it in a pretty secure way. Okay. 
Um, so you don't have to worry about private keys and all that. Uh, now, if you ask me personally, I, um, I, you know, I, I have control of some of my Bitcoins and, uh, you, you know, you don't have to do it. It's complex to do it on your own, but, um, you have the option to, that's the important thing. Gotcha. So yeah, you're, you're the driver of this. And I mean, I could, I could definitely see just from our, you know, 20 minutes of talking about, you know, the future here. And, and I know we, we really have spent a lot of time just talking about the what could be's and the what ifs. But I mean, I think that's the fascinating piece of, of this whole process is the, you know, it, it, it could be the iPhone for, for financial markets um, or even, you know, and spread even further from that and change the way that we do business, change our habits, change our, you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis to, um, you know, to, to exchange cash. I mean, and I know like my kids have, um, they have a bank account where obviously their, their money sits. Um, and, but they never go to the bank. They don't even really use, um, use their debit cards much. They end up using, um, you know, I think it's this PayPal on the Venmo app. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They'll exchange Venmo with their buddies or they'll go to Chick-fil-A and their buddy, whoever's in the driver's seat pays for the order. And then they just all Venmo the driver, the cash for their, That's right. That's their right. piece. So they're accustomed. They're already, they're not even accustomed to traditional banking the way we are. They're accustomed to a, an online, a digital facet of transactions already. And I mean, I know that exactly. it does, exactly. it is based on a, a real currency. Making here. I, I totally agree. And, and this new generation of people are internet native. And I think they, they are comfortable with the idea of internet native assets like Bitcoin. Um, and I think it's only going to grow over time because of this new generation of people. Since you mentioned PayPal and Venmo, it's different. You know, it, it definitely has, and PayPal just got into Bitcoin, by the way. Right. But it's different in the sense that you don't need a bank account for digital assets. Right. With uh, PayPal, you need a bank account. Yeah, still and, do. You, you know, you can't send money from the U.S. to, I'm not sure, don't, don't quote me on this, but to the U.K. And it's all closed systems. Uh, crypto is an open system, right? It's, it's anyone can use it anywhere in the world and exchange value between them. So, so it's a little different in that respect. And in addition, you know, PayPal does kind of keep a, a record of all the transactions and kind of manages the flows and all that. So with crypto, it happens in a decentralized way, in, uh, computers across the world. So it's a bit different. Should we... Uh, should I mention something maybe that should be fun for the audience? Sure, did, yeah, because we, uh, I mean, I know we're we're kind of bumping up on. Well, we've got we're about forty seven in, so um, you know, I, I certainly want to be respectful of your time too. But yeah, man, absolutely, let's 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 do some fun stuff with crypto. I think I think you know it's just a fun thing, so to make it more fun because it's a complex matter and. Um, you know, it's very difficult to cover in 50 minutes. I, yeah. um, we were talking, I don't know whether you saw that, but, but the pizza, you know, the Bitcoin pizzas. I, we talked I, about that? I think I read that from your page, actually, actually, uh, where, right. That's yeah, right. Go, go talk about it. Cause it was the cost of the pizza was, it was worth a, anyway, I won't steal your thunder. Tell the story. Back in 2010, uh, just to get a sense of how Bitcoin has increased in value over the past 10 years, starting from, uh, you know, a curiosity. Um, I think this, this is interesting. Back in 2010, a guy called Laszlo uh, decided to buy two pizzas with Bitcoins um, and he paid 5,000 Bitcoins per pizza at the time. You know, Bitcoin yeah. was trading at very low valuations. It, it had very limited value. So he paid 5000 5, per pizza. So 10,000 10, 10, Bitcoins for, for yeah. two pizzas. How, how much do, do these, did these pizzas cost him if we look at, at today's prices? Uh, so what, we're at like 28, 29,000 on yeah. Bitcoin. So 
here's I'm going to do public math and people are going to laugh at me. So if we say 29,000 times 10,000, I need to add uh, what four it, zeros it, to 29,000 is the 29, 290 million. 290 million. Those two it's, pizzas cost $290 million. Most expensive yeah, pizzas I mean, in the world. That, these are all theoretical <laughs> things, but had Laszlo kept these 10,000 Bitcoins, he'd have 290 million now instead of buying these pizzas. Instead of, now. yeah, these, well, these two, no, so these two pizzas cost him 290 million. As of now, yeah. Yeah. So, Price but I'm assuming too, if Laszlo had 10,000 Bitcoin to just kind of just throw away at a pizza, he probably has you know, a couple of other tens of thousands of Bitcoin, or we hope he does at least. I would hope so, unless he was experimenting, right? He (laughs) bought a few, bought a pizza, uh, and, 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 you know, I don't know his specific circumstances, but, um, you know, it, it, it just shows how much the price has risen since then. And I think it's going to go, I, you know, it's still, we still don't know whether it's going to survive over time. We'll have to see, but, um, but it's gone, a long way, 12 years, and uh, it's gone up and down, sure, of course, but right. we're talking about huge numbers here. Yeah, and that's kind of my wonder is, you know, and I know that you don't have the crystal ball, and I won't I won't hold the proverbial gun to your head and, and make you answer the question, but, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, Bitcoin is at $28,000 per coin, $28,000, $29,000 per coin, you know, as we record this on... December 31st at 11 a.m. Central Time. Um, you know, is do you think in 10 years, is it possible that it's, that it's you know, not it's not 28,000, it's 250,000, you know, a coin? Or do you think that it levels off at some point where you say, hey, the, you know, plus or minus a couple of percent, it's going to trade in, you know, this range? It's a very hard question, but I do believe it can go up. And, and you know, just to be clear, uh, I'm, I'm holding a small percentage of my assets in Bitcoin, right? It's, a, it's an amount that I'll, I'm willing to lose in order to take a bet that it will go to 250000 over time. I think the trajectory for it right now is that it will increase in value because the more users come in, the, uh, you know, with a fixed supply, the higher it goes and yeah. you know, over time. But a, a lot of things can go wrong. So it's not a certain bet for sure. But right now it's about 5% or so of the value of gold, right? So if you think of it as a form of digital gold, could it be 20% or 30% of, of gold, of physical gold? Why not? Yeah. I mean, it started. It, it started, as I said, you know, at very low prices, and we are today at, um, you know, 29,000. And only about 50 million people have any mean- meaningful amount of Bitcoins w- worldwide. So if that number becomes 200 million or 300 million, um, yeah, I could see the price going up to, to those levels. So do you think they will, do you think it will stay at 21 million Bitcoin? No more will ever be minted ever after you hit that 21 million, or do you think at some point the computer scientist creators say, Hey, we, we need to create a little bit more supply or is it done? 21 million done, not happening anymore. You know, that's a, that's another great question. I think it's going to be done because they can't control it, right? They might say, yeah, we're going to do it and we're going to release a new, um, a new kind of, uh, Bitcoin like blockchain with more yeah. supply. But who's going to go and, and, and transact on top of the new blockchain? It, it, you know, the users, the miners, everybody who's in this system is operating on the existing parameters. It's kind of like saying that the Facebook guys, you know, group of engineers at Facebook says, hey, we're going to create a new Facebook that has going to have these new and so features. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a new Facebook that's much better. Let's call it better, although inflation is not necessarily better. Let's call it a better version. Mm-hmm. Do you think three and a half billion people are going to port over to the new Facebook? Mm, no. no. You know, so no. I think it's very hard for somebody to change it right now at this point. Yeah. And they can change. I mean, it's open source. The code is there. They can, but they, nobody's going to go to the new blockchain, right, that they created. Everybody's going to stay and use this 
um, this kind of um, uh, this, the current software, sure. at, let's say, with the 21 million. Yeah, and you know, I think that was a good way to 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 kind of help the layperson think about it too. Because you're right. I mean, how many different goes have there been at Facebook to you know unseat them as king? And you look know, at how long it took Parler to get traction. It took it it took a, a, an event for Parler to get traction, and even now with traction, they still are nowhere close to like really truly threatening. You know, Twitter, for example. Yeah. You know, or, and I mean, it's funny to look, I mean, even look at MySpace. MySpace was there before Facebook, but, you know, Facebook became the, the, the preferred, preferred uh, platform. And I don't even know if MySpace exists. I loved MySpace because it's like I had my music on there. I could do my background. I could write the, well, I would steal the code. I didn't write any code. I'm not that smart. Um, but, you know, it was fun. Facebook, but Facebook is easier. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's the preferred platform. Well, I'll give you one final thing, and you'll probably understand it better. You know, there's there's a, a, a guy from uh, that, that I actually, whom I know, who wrote a, a piece called A Brief Study of Crypto Network Forks. It's basically forks. Basically, people cutting and pasting the code of, let's say, Bitcoin and trying to create a new Bitcoin. And that he had written it back in... Uh, uh, late 2018, so now probably the numbers are a little different, but he identified 40 attempts to copy Bitcoin. All of them failed, right? Yeah. With either the exact same or, or with more inflation or whatever it is. It's because the, the net, you know, nobody poured, nobody moved there. The users didn't move there. The miners didn't move there. The network is kind of at this point, you know, uh, yeah. solidified and it's hard. It's hard to break it. Yeah, I think it was because they trust it, right? They there's faith that it's that it's going to do, um, you know, what they expect. And I think you know, and so that's some of the issue with U.S. dollars. You know, there the reason the U.S. dollar is the global standard for you know for the world currency is because um, there's a lot of faith and trust that it's that it's stable, that it's going to be there. You know, of course, you know it does it with all the printing of the money. It's it's going to debase a little bit, but um, I think there's a lot of merit to, you know, as you said, you know, the early adopters um, who who establish their presence and establish, um, you know, that, that they were the the first to the to the market. Um, you know, maybe not the very first ones, but but you know, initial adapters are going to have a lot of a lot. There's a lot of uh, goodwill that's there versus, you know, any new up and comings. That's right. And to to finish this up. It's very interesting, but, you know, it's going to go through booms and busts. There are risks to it. Yeah. I must be clear with that. So, you know, understand it before doing it and certainly don't put, uh, you know, the majority or, or a large part of your net worth in, in it. You know, I have a certain, a small percentage in it personally, just as an example. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be the advice we would give to our clients for almost anything, right? Hey, um, don't 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 put more than you're willing to lose into anything and then and 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 let's let's be let's be intelligent with with asset allocation and diversification of portfolios too well great i hope um i hope this was fun you know it's not that much fun to be honest to go into the how blockchains work and all of that for most people but i think we try to to avoid that yeah i thought i mean i think that we kept it at a very understandable level. And, you know, and a lot of people just don't know much about the area. I mean, including myself, I don't know much. Well, and- if you don't know much, it's remarkably intimidating. Like I don't know much at all. And I, I'm, I've, I've kind of stayed away from it because I simply don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, listen, the way it works is pretty complex and it's, it's, you go down to computer science, you go down to game theory, you go down to all this complex system with miners and this and that. But in the end, uh, and, it, and, and you know, there are risks in, in, this, in this system that you need to understand. But in the end, we've reached a point, I think, with, with the development of this industry that you don't need to know what's underneath it in the same way that, that you don't need to know what's underneath your email, right? Yeah. There's a whole complex technology underlying your email, but still, what you need to understand is that there are risks, and make sure you don't 
become overconfident. That's all you need to understand. I think that I don't know that there's a better way to to wrap it up either, man. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how my car works with internal combustion engines and how to build an engine, but I can stick my key in it and press go and hit drive and and I drive. So precisely, if you if you take a step back and think about all these items that we use every day, I have no idea, and and I think nobody does, how the vast majority of things in my home work. <laughs> I have no idea. We just have faith that it does. That's true. Well, Marcos, I really appreciate you coming on uh, with us today, man. Uh, happy Happy New Year to you, man. I hope that 2021 is is excellent for you guys and your family, man. And I'm I'm super grateful for our relationship and that you're willing to give us, you know, an hour of your of your time to come talk to our audience about the fascinating subject of cryptocurrencies, man. It's it's a real pleasure, you know. Uh, I've known you for so many years. It's a real pleasure, and uh, couldn't be happier to do it, especially on the thirty first. <laughs> Absolutely, we're going to kick off this new year with a bang. Neil, anything for you, my friend? Uh, just happy new year to both of you guys. Happy new year to everybody out there who's listening. Uh, I know it's been a challenging year, and we appreciate uh, you letting us have a role in it. And um, we look forward to being back with you in twenty twenty one. Indeed.